Hello once again and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your host, your controller, your uh, uh, your Ed Harris and Apollo 13, uh, JP. I am with my friends and my co-hosts. Uh, Father Chuck, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Great. I'm also with my other co-host, Matt Wells. How you doing, buddy? Fantastic as always. Great. Uh, you know, we, this is our, um, I want to say our, our seventh episode, sixth, seventh, seventh, I think I would say our seventh episode. And, um, you know, we, we've kind of garnered a, a nice little following. I think, uh, a lot of people have been interacting with us, leaving reviews or rating on, on iTunes as they should be, which helps us out a lot. We hit the top 50 in our category for a while. We, we hit top 50. Under the religion and spirituality category of iTunes, let's give ourselves a little round of applause. Yeah, we cool. were forty nine, and we were above RC Sproul. I'll take ah, it. Who's that? I don't know who that is. <laughs> That's <laughs> why you're on this with us, JP. <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of fans who are interacting with us, we want people to interact with us, and if you do interact with us, you may even get a chance to be on our podcast. Because Chuck, who do we have on our podcast today? We have my good friend. Uh, Father Patrick Funston, Father Patrick, Father Fun, he goes by many names, Um, but uh, yeah, good friend of mine, he's in town um, because I'm going to be instituted as the uh, rector, which is our fancy Episcopal word for sort of senior pastor of the church that I've been working at, and um, I invited him to come and preach at that event, so he's in town. Um, Well, first of all, congratulations, Chuck. Thank you very much, Mm -hmm. thank you. Um, and I, um, but I also, um, uh, invited him to be on the podcast because after like our second episode, he reached out to me and had mentioned that he'd been, he'd been listening to it. He's a subscriber to it. And that he was, I think our first fan that ever talked to us, he made a comment about, um, me making a gross generalization about video gamers and gamer culture. And I realized, you know, we hadn't really touched on it in any in, in depth. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to have him on here because he is a gamer and all So I'll let him tell more about who he is. Yeah, Father Patrick, tell us more about uh, who you are, and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, my friend. Thank you for being on the show with us. Thank you for the invite. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, my name is Patrick Funston. I'm the, the rector, the senior pastor at uh, St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Manhattan, Kansas, which is, I guess you would call it East Central Kansas. Um, and yeah, when, when I call him Chaz, and sometimes <laughs> I know Chaz. Chainsaw, you know. Chainsaw. I, we're all seminary kind of nicknames, so um, I'm a classmate of, of Charles's and uh, or Father Chuck, sorry, podcast persona, uh, and, uh, and 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 so he invited me to come out to preach, and um, and so I'm here, and we talked about being on the podcast, and so I'm happy to be here. I've been a gamer for a long time. I I got my first uh, Nintendo console. I had an Atari beforehand that my dad had, but I got my first nice. Nintendo console in it's nine must o'clock. have been ninety three, which is after it had been out for a while. And I remember I got it just when the Super Nintendo came out, which I always thought was kind of a rough move by my parents. Well, you you, you <laughs> um, got an Atari when the Super Nintendo came out? No, I got it right an NES and Nintendo. Oh, oh, okay. Still, that's still, uh, yeah. that's. But like my dad and I played a bunch of Dr. Mario and, you know, Zelda and all those, those old school games. Yes. Uh, F-Zero. And uh, and then I and then I became kind of a PC gamer through high school because my parents just weren't interested in spending you know the three hundred dollars to get me a system that was going to be replaced in you know four or five years whenever the cycle was. PC Master and, Race. 
Right, exactly. Um, but then once I got out of high school and started working, I ended up buying, I think, every every console that was out at that time. It was like like every paycheck, I would go out and get a new console. So I had like a GameCube, an Xbox, PlayStation 2. Uh, I upgraded my computer and, you know, and ended up dropping out of my first year of college. Because of it so, um, and then ever since then, I've just owned kind of every Xbox and every PlayStation that's come out. And I'm much more of a console gamer these days than a PC gamer, but um, but I, I still play games on my computer as well. Can can I also point out that you're you're it looks like you're playing a video game on your phone. I'm actually while you're yeah. To us. This is <laughs> which is from the Blizzard company. It's a very good game. It's a digital card game like Magic or Redemption um, or Redemption. Or Redemption. That's right. Redemption. Shout, out Redemption. Shout out to the episode, <laughs> episode four, everybody. Uh, we still love you, Dangerous Wayne, if you're listening. <laughs> Um, I, I have a daily quest to watch somebody else win a game. And so it's just like, you know, I have, I have friends who I just have to watch them play until they win. And then I get like a card pack. So that's what I'm doing. I'm not actually playing it right now. Wow. I, I have no words. I'm a little impressed though, but that's... I, and I'm not functionally watching it either. It's just playing in the, there, <laughs> learn, pack earned. Well, we are okay. Uh, things we are, while live you know, on the so, podcast. So that's, but that's not good podcast radio to talk about. You know, <laughs> me watching. <'cause> I, <laughs> There's nothing good about our podcast radio. That's just what we do. Um. So, uh, Father Patrick, uh, I guess you you reached out to Father Chuck because of uh, there was something said in a previous episode. So maybe you could talk about that if you want. Sure. Yeah, I um, I don't recall which episode it was, but it was kind of toward the end. Um, Father Chuck said something about he was talking about gamer culture a little bit, and and about how they were kind of entitled. What what was your word? Wish fulfillment. Male, white male. White male power fantasies. White male power fantasies. And and I think I think I kind of had like a not all not all men reaction to that. You know that kind of hashtag. <laughs> no tall men. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I thought about it, and I think and I think that there's like an element of that to it. But you know, some of the some of the games that I play and enjoy the most actually have female protagonists, like Tomb, like the Tomb Raider games, um, right. like especially the modern ones. I, I think the old ones, in their depiction of of Lara Croft, are somewhat white male power fulfillment. But the newer ones are, are I think, are, are more I would say more feminist in their in their in their production. But I just thought that was a kind of a gross generalization, and 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 then when Father Chuck and I kind of did some post mortem on it, and we talked a little bit about like the GamerGate controversy and some of the issues that you you guys have addressed about internet and anonymity and what that does to a community, I thought that it was kind of an overgeneralization, but it was one that was founded in some reality. And I'm interested in um, he said that a lot of newer games are uh, probably more feminist these days. Do you, do you know of any like off the top of your head that you could say that you would say are more feminist? More, yeah. I, it's I, I want I don't want to use the word feminist. I, I did say that, but I want to I want to back off of that a little bit because okay, maybe a, more all inclusive. Yeah. When I say that word, I think I think that what I'm thinking of is not so much in their protagonists, you know, whether it's a man or a woman, mm-hmm. but in its kind of production values and its emphasis and its emphasis emphases. So, like, when I think of somebody saying white pay, my male power fantasies, I'm thinking of games like Call of Duty, um, maybe the Halo franchise, these kind of hyper-aggressive shooter-based games um, that tend to generate a, 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 a type of player and a conversation while playing the game um, that is more aggressive. And I would say 
kind of hyper masculine in that in that mm-hmm. um, maybe stunted hyper masculine would be the best way to put that. But there's with the advent of, of platforms like Steam and um, which is a computer a computer platform that allows more independent developers to come out. I think that you're seeing a, a kind of a renaissance of the indie game, which allows kind of more story based and more kind of emotionally driven games to to come to the forefront. So like games like um, there's one that came out recently called Beyond Eyes, which is a female protagonist and it's about a girl who's blind and it's kind of this interesting game you know how do you do a video game video right a video game about a blind character um but they do it through this very interesting artistic style um that 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 kind of uses i don't know tactile sense in a game it's it's hard to explain but um to convey an emotional story about the district girl's journey which is not something that which is which became very popular but it's not something that you would typically think of when, when you know, when my mom says video game, she's thinking of, you know, neckbeards playing, a, playing, a, yelling at each other while playing a game in a basement. Um, and and I think that the that the genre as a medium is really developing into a place where you can start to tell really interesting stories in a way that you can't in in, in a film that's only three hours at max, you know, uh, or a book that doesn't have a visual component to it. Um, you, you know, you have over the course of a 30 or 40 hour game, the ability to tell interesting stories that don't need to be violent and hyper aggressive. But then like, another one that came out, was called, it's called Firewatch, which has a male protagonist. Well, really, you're playing a male, but you're talking to a female the entire time. It's more of a more of a story about this guy who's out in the wilderness wanting to kind of escape his kind of life. And he works as a fire watcher um, out in, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park or wherever. And it's, it's an exploration-based game that conveys its story through these conversations with this, um, you know, over the radio with his kind of boss, who's a female. As a gamer, Patrick, have you seen a lot of influence that the independent gaming scene has had on the more mainstream scene? Like, is it is it impacting it at all? Like, are they kind of changing their tune because of some of the routes that the more indie developers are taking? Yeah, I do. I do think that there's more, you know, back in, back in the days when like Call of Duty really started to become popular, they were, those games were played predominantly for their multiplayer component. Um, and, and, it, you know, game balance and all the kind of things, the, the, the host of, of features and everything to balance uh, a, a, a multiplayer game were the most important things. But then as you get, more popular indie games and there's more studios that are producing games and you start to what I would say this renaissance of, of focus on story which is what I'm really interested in and why I play video games you start to see games like Call of Duty start to try to incorporate a more interesting and compelling story in, within the, within themselves and I and I think specifically about I've been playing a lot of Destiny lately um, in the last couple of years um, which is a game or last year I guess which Space is Wizards. a Right, exactly. Space Wizards. Um, yeah, science fiction, first-person shooter. That's kind of a shared world shooter, they call it. And when that game came out, it, its its gameplay mechanics were amazing. Its multiplayer was fun. You know, it was fun to just run around and shoot aliens. Um, but it, it got a lot of pushback from the general community because its story was absolute rubbish. Like, it was just terrible. And there were a lot of reasons for that. You know, in the last year, we've learned that they fired some people at certain times. But this is Bungie that made this game. Um, they they made some creative decisions at the last minute to try to rush the game out, all these things. But I don't think that you would have heard that outcry 
10 years ago, five years ago, I think people would have said, this game plays really well and it's really fun and allows me to shoot other people in the head, you know, which it does, but it also, you know, has a compelling story. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, even Call of Duty, I don't, I, I, I own like maybe three Call of Duty games. I don't think I ever played any of them for their story. Yeah. And I know Destiny has like a, like a multiplayer aspect to it where you can play online with your friends and stuff, like outside the story, right? That, that is kind of interesting that um, there is a huge backlash about the story. I mean, is, is that kind of also kind of happening in Call of Duty as well? Like, is that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't frequent Call of Duty forums as much as I do Destiny forums, but um, I think it's definitely, you know, as I watch reviews and decide, is this going to be a Call of Duty game that I'm going to be actually interested in playing? One of the things that I look for in those reviews is what they think about, because I'm not interested in going and doing the multiplayer stuff, you know, but I do think like there's a place to tell a compelling story in a, in a Call of Duty game because, you know, like like Black Ops, the original Black Ops game, it, it's all about kind of shadow government stuff. And so they end up talking about the cold war. They talk about the Vietnam war. It's got this kind of time traveling kind of flashbacky kind of story, which is interesting, you know, and, um, and it's just kind of compelling stuff. Right. So is, is there, are the developers of destiny pretty responsive to, to the backlash or? Oh yeah, definitely. I think that, um, that their, their first major expansion that came out, which is called the taken King, which is the first, it was a year after it initially released, so it's in its second year right now. Was a, you could see that they definitely were trying again to make story a, a bigger component, and uh, were listening to what the fans really wanted. Interesting, Father Chuck, uh, Matt. Kind of curious about what your uh, what your thoughts are on on all this and the uh, especially the indie, the indie gaming world or uh, how they're you know affecting the mainstream and then some of the attitudes and whatnot. I feel I feel definitely out of my league. Mm. <laughs> like I feel like I'm like a pretty nerd expert, and then like bring in <laughs> other kind of nerd. yeah. Once like, again, you're the kid in college that did not uh, <laughs> right. Like, I, I, just pull, like, I think like uh, you know in college I would just do like long time like long term massacres on like Grand Theft Auto Three or like Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Um, but no, I mean I do follow some of the culture of the game world, so it's it's interesting hearing about it. Um, with um with that because like for me like i'll just be completely honest like the most of what i see from video game culture has a lot to do with the gamergate controversy and like i think patrick is right in calling me out on the the whole deal of of you know stereotyping a particular kind of video game um because you know like i think about like my own growing up and the games that i played like i didn't play first person shooters and like those kinds of games like i was i was really into japanese role-playing games and uh, like Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, those kinds of things. And so, like, you know, they were very story-driven, very bizarre story-driven. Um, but that was the kind of stuff that I was more into. So I know that I, I'm aware that there isn't a stereotype. I mean, that there are things that are beyond the stereotype. And I guess, like, maybe it's an important thing to talk to about how do we, like, you know, is the stereo like, what's the right kind of stereotype? Is there a stereotype that's more of, like, a sort of culture creation reacting to a, a very, like, maybe somewhat vocal minority? Mm-hmm. Or is there, you know, is there a better stereotype that ought to be put forward or or whatever? Because, you know, a stereotype isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? But, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so, yeah, so, like, that's sort of my thoughts right now. Matthew? <laughs> it's just crickets. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm trying to follow, and I'm like, I, I played Mario... 
Yeah. Matt's like, so do you like Sonic the Hedgehog or it's, do? Yeah. I like Mario. Sonic. Um, he was too hard. I kept losing my gold rings, and it was angry. Um, but no, I mean, I, I got into the games for a while, especially when um, I worked with junior high kids for a few years. So I got big into the Halo franchise because I was working with them. They were big into it. And I was like, I'm going to check this out. And I'll, I'll be honest, I got hooked on uh, Halo 1 through 3. And then we, we had a baby, and um, I, I sold my Xbox, and I've sadly never had a, a game system since. I know. I just try not to cry. It's, <laughs> I'm kind of with Chuck that my experience is what I hear with the arguments online. Um, that's come a lot from the Gamergate fiasco, if you will, uh, and just the mess that that's caused. But I don't really know anybody or the games in particular right now. I'm so out of touch with it. My wife was laughing because I actually went to a game a, a game store recently um, and was like, I, I, I want to get a game system. I was mm-hmm. like, I, I want something to do with downtime. And the guy started talking. And I was like, I'm so lost and so <laughs> out of my league. I, I just, there's nowhere to go from here. But no, I think that when it comes to the culture, there, it's it's like every other culture. There's mm-hmm. there's subcultures inside of a inside of a culture. I mean, we're um, we're movie nerds and comic book nerds, mm-hmm. and Chuck is everything Japanese nerd yeah. um, from Japanese theology to Japanese role playing games. Mm-hmm. Apparently, yeah. He just, he just, <laughs> the dust. If when in doubt, he just brings up Japan, and I'm gone <laughs> immediately out of the conversation. I'm starting to realize. You know, we, we uh, JP, you and I were, were messaging the other day talking about the whole weeabo, like, you know, otaku cult thing. And are you, are you realizing are you weeabo or is that? I, I, I think I am. Yeah. <laughs> For those listening, again, this is a great example. I'm on that message thread and was silent for about three days. <laughs> um, so to give you an idea of what life is like with these two, um, I got to read these comments for about a day and a half going, what are they talking about? I was so lost. Yeah, I mean, having some objectivity is always good for character development and things like that. And, like, like it dawned on me that I was like, oh, yeah, I used to go to I used to go to, like, Asian video game import stores, and I used to buy, like, wall scrolls for, like, the Gundam anime series and hang those on my wall, buy video game soundtracks and... Well, so there was this there was this funny moment this afternoon that I may have also shed some <laughs> yes. light on on what what uh, Father Chuck is talking about. But he we were doing the rehearsal for this installation um, tomorrow, and uh, he was really excited to show me the vestments that he's gonna get. That like you you know you get this new robe, you know, and uh, and he pulled it out. And it's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous piece, right? Done by a local, yep. a local company. You want to give him a shout out? Yeah, it's a Claves and Tesca in Fort Lauderdale. And um, and I look at it, and and the main fabric. This is a chasuble, which is a big kind of poncho that we wear when we do the uh, Eucharistic service. And the main, the main panel, the main decorative panel, is this beautiful silk white thing. And I said, just kind of offhand, I just said, that looks like a kimono, like kimono fabric. <laughs> And he just, he just, and he just kind of looks at me and then kind of looks down a little bit, and he says, "It, it, it was a kimono. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was kimono fabric. It was not a kimono. It was not. Okay, it's not repurposed kimono. No, no. I bought it. I, I found it at an antique shop. It was a bolt of this fabric that was on sale. Uh, but yeah, it used to be a kimono or a kimono used for making kimonos. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then like we went and bought 
we went to the grocery store today, mm. and I bought a six-pack of Kirin and Chiban beer. We, we went through this yeah. whole thing about local, <laughs> a local beer. He was telling me all about these local beers. He was like, this one's good. This one's good. I don't like many of those. And, and I, so I was like, well, I'll just, grab, I'll just grab this one, you know, same brewery. And uh, and he says, <laughs> and he says, okay, I'm gonna get a Kirin Chiban. <laughs> and then, then as he walks away, he says, yeah, yeah, I really like local beers. I do like local beers, but I also like the Japanese. You're carrying and carrying yeah, Ichiban. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm having a crisis of identity or something. I don't know, but no, I, uh, yeah, I've, I'm, uh, I'm totally. I'm um, t- an otaku kind of guy, I think. You see, I'm still here, just like our message thread. I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's weird because, um, you know, I, I've met people that are, are, are self-described weeaboos. Is that how you say it? I don't even really know how to say. It. I just want to type it. I, I don't think of people that like, you know, that, that drink here in Ichiban or who like wear kimonos or who like you know, Godzilla or samurai films. I think a dude that just like straight up just love anime and dress like anime and eat Japanese candy and then like say things like, Oh, it's so kawaii. You know, think that that's, that's what I picture. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's a difference between that and like what you sort of embody. You sort of embody to me is like sort of the early nineties obsession with like (laughs) Japanese design, you know, when, Oh yeah. Especially like, Southern California was kind of totally into it. You kind of remember more of that. The, the, yeah. the, the sort of yuppie appropriation, not to call you yuppie or anything, but the sort of the yuppie appropriation of Asian culture. Like, I don't know. You enjoy the finer parts of it. My wife signed me up. My wife, my wife signed me up for Japanese candy subscription for Christmas. Uh, I take back everything I just said. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You should start spiking your hair like anime characters. I should actually like bleach it like super blonde and spike. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering. This is making me think about like getting back to the divinity side of the Masters of Divinity podcast. Yeah. I'm wondering about like what it says about either our fallen nature or um, our, our lack of I don't know complete trust in God or what what it is about us as people that causes us to want to find these kind of niche like really deep dive communities hmm. right like what like why why what why is otaku a thing you know are you talking about just like fandom in general or are you talking about like maybe a certain degree that people go to be like otaku or miyabu whatever right yeah, I don't know. If I'm, I don't. I don't know if I'm thinking that there's like a line that you cross, but I think yeah. that I think that the, all the degrees. I, I wonder if, you know, like we're, we're, was Abraham I, ever like an otaku <laughs> of, of any sort? Like, was he just really into like specific kinds of sand or something? I don't know. But like, um, you know, no, because he had like this like intimate, kind of always on connection to God, right? And I and I and I wonder if. I wonder if there's something about the distance that we perpetuated for ourselves through culture that our willingness to deep dive into these things, these niches, is maybe more of a reflection of our distance from our source. I once heard someone explain uh, being a nerd is like more of an an affliction than it is a choice. (laughs) Mm. Like it's something that's more or less kind of thrust upon you. Right. Uh, I'm not so sure about these days, though, since it's so chic. But, Matt, you were going to say something. 
Yeah, no, that actually, that, that kind of ties into it too, though. We've talked about that with the, um, kind of the idea that being a nerd has become cool. Yeah. And to a certain extent, like, it's cool now to, like, superheroes and to talk about Batman and to talk about Superman. And um, it's not quite cool yet to argue at the level that we do, um, like me and Father Chuck, but it's getting there. Um, but we, but we've talked about how, like, uh, it's almost like people search for a more extreme way to stand out when it starts to become mainstream. Um, they start looking for, well, what's something else I can get into that's one more layer outside of normal? Um, but what I really think it is to me, what it ties back into, and to answer kind of Pat's question, Father Pat, Father Patrick, um, we'll come up with one for you by the time you mm-hmm. leave here. That's fine. Um, to, I like Father Fun. I like Father, Father Fun. That's my, uh, that's my Twitter fun. handle. So. Okay. Yeah, well, at Father Fun. Um, but to kind of get back to your idea, to me... Our life is lived um, under the assumption that we we're in the image of a of a triune God, a God who is a an endless source of relationship, a God who is a perfect example of relationship in and of himself. Um, he needs nothing outside of himself. Um, um, doesn't need anything, doesn't find fulfillment in anything. He's completely um, 100% content and an endless source of love and devotion and support and exaltation and submission. Um, And then we were created in his image and meant to be in union with him, ourselves, and the world that we live on. Um, But we, being humans, did of what we always do and rebel against God's way and try to go our own way and broke those unities. And to me, my kind of very basic level understanding of life is we're trying so hard to repair those unions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we search for that with creation. You get people who place the planet over humanity. It's more important to conserve our planet than it is for humans to, to survive. Um, you get humans who rule over creation, thinking they can treat it like uh, their own need fulfillment and get what they want from it. And then they'll seek connection in other ways. Um, but I think we're always searching for connection, for union. And I think part of it is with these cultures that we, we've generated, and it seems cheesy to tie it into things like movies and video games, but it's all aspects of the life that we're living in. Um, we look for... What is that one more level I can hit that if somebody else is there with me, then that's a connection and a form of unity that can't be, like, taken away. It proves I'm not alone here. Mm. Um, I'm not doing this by myself. But that there's other people out there who are, who are like me that I can, I can be supported by, that I can find connection with. And I think it's searching for that kind of connection to somebody else. And... Um, we hit the surface, it's like, hey, I like movies. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Um, or I like games. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, what games? And then what type of game? And then what subgenre of that game? And what mm-hmm. story are you into? And um, it's kind of looking for that. Um, I mean, I, I'm describing it. And as I'm talking, I'm like, I feel like I'm talking about like eHarmony. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're trying to search like the different connections we can find. But, with, but, I, but I think it kind of hits that, that need to, to restore unions that have been fractured mm-hmm. and looking for something that shows I have a genuine connection with this person. Yeah, but it's, it's funny, too, because as we go deeper, as we find those more and more connections, we separate. We separate. And, and I, I'm thinking about this, this. One of my favorite jokes 
is, you know, there's this guy who's on a bridge and he's and, and, and he's about to commit suicide, right? And so this other guy walks up to him and mm-hmm. sees that he's about to jump and he's a Christian. So he goes up to him and, you know, wants to talk to him. And he says, hey, what's going on? He says, I'm really depressed. I'm feeling like I need to, need to end my life. And he says, well, you know, are you, are you a believer? Do you believe in, you know, anything higher? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, me too. Me too. You know? Oh, you know, and what, so what, what kind of brand of Christian are you? Oh, I'm Baptist. Oh, oh, I'm, me, me too. I'm Baptist too. Oh, Sorry. Excellent. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> he says, he says, oh, okay, okay, you know, are you, are you, uh, you know, are you the, the, are you Anabaptist? Are you, you know, oh, oh, I'm Anabaptist, you know, okay. Okay, are you the split of 1873 or the split of 18, 1853? Oh, I'm the 1873. Heretic and pushes him off the bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but I think that <laughs> sorry, I totally like didn't even take the time to laugh. I just stopped on your joke. Like, I, yeah, but that means I'm sorry. Let's take a moment to 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 take the joke. It was a good joke. I laughed, but I literally didn't even laugh at his eyes. I didn't even give myself the chance to do it. I'm so sorry. Uh, I just disconnected myself from this entire room, um, so starting there. But no, but I think that is exactly the problem, is we, instead of stopping at, like from my point of view, I said, you know, we're all created in the image of a triune God. Um, Instead of stopping there and realizing we are created in the image of God, like to to point that out in other people, to find that myself, to realize we're connected already, and that we were put here for a reason, but we want to break it down and dissect it until we find the thing that separates us. It's mm-hmm. like we we claim it's I'm looking for how to restore the union, mm-hmm. but what we're actually doing is fracturing it further. Right. Um, trying to trying to become the I, I I I mean we're trying to end up the man on top of the the pile I guess like um, I'm, I'm I'm alone but at least I'm I'm here kind of a thing. Do you think um, that is why? Uh, um, Gamergate was so um, vocal and so uh, I mean I guess it's not like enormous but it was big enough to get some kind of media attention and whatnot. yeah Uh, do you think that's why it was so big is because it was sort of like something that is one thing that these all these different niches within within a community could all kind of come together under. Well, should we should we define Gamergate? Should we talk a little bit about what that was? That's probably a good. Idea. That's that's probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I think we should. We'll yeah. probably be hacked and off the air by the time we're done. <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> um, right. So Gamergate was uh, something that happened, um, I guess, a couple of years now, um, where there was a, a, a gamers kind of initially responded to what they saw as um, kind of the. Um, the, there was a, there was a specific reporter, a, fem- a female reporter, who um, was found to have been in a relationship with a with a specific male publisher, uh, a guy who worked for a publisher, and the assumption was that she had, was doing that. She was using sex as a way to get kind of inside scoops and and to then promote her boyfriend's games. Right, Zoe Quinn. Right, and so the so the the, the response, the initial and and. and the, the initial response to it was, this is a problem, right? But it very quickly, very quickly <laughs> devolved into this scum of, uh, you know, what is the, what is, what is Mos Eisley? A wretched hive of scum and villainy. Wretched hive of scum and villainy. Thank you. Um, that, the, 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 the fact that it was just, you know, bad journalistic ethics 
was not the issue as much as it was the fact that she was a woman. And, and then it became, uh, then the hashtag Gamergate became a, an excuse to start talking about kind of how, how women mistreat gamers in general and how, you know, we're, it, it just, it just became a source of just misogyny and, and awfulness. Um, yeah. to the point the where Gamergate hashtag was started by, uh, Adam Baldwin of, uh, Firefly fame. <laughs> Hmm. Well, so yeah, like, and, and, and it ended up becoming this thing where female reporters and female gamers, you know, I'm thinking about Twitch streamers who, who are female. Twitch is a gaming uh, video streaming service where you can watch people play video games. Sorry, I'm defining, defining it for, for two in the room. Um, are getting, are getting death threats. You know, you're using your sexuality to manipulate me. And, you know, it just, it just, it became this really awful kind of misogynistic thing. Um, and, and so, so, so in answer to your question about what that was about, I, I think that that's probably true. Like there's a, you know, as, as we were, as you guys talk about the mainstreamization of nerddom, I, I think that what you saw there was video games have, because of their generally isolationist kind of relationship with self have been a kind of a refuge for a subset of men who feel ill-equipped to deal or stereotypically, who feel ill-equipped to deal with or to interact with a, a real world, you know, in quotes. And when they started to feel, or when the initial starters of the conversation, not those who blew it up, but those who started the conversation, were dealing with the realization that their thing was so kind of accepted now that or it was that 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 news that journalistic ethics became a part of the conversation. Um, that I think that it is. I think it is that that the realization of that had also the push. Yeah, and also I kind of see it as sort of like um, you know Roger Ebert famously said that uh, video games are are not art, and I think um, there's there's since then there's sort of been this rise amongst blogs and, and YouTube videos to sort of look at video games as an art, as more, more than just a game, more, it's, it's like an art. Right. And when you analyze something as an art, you look at things like um, themes of like masculinity, uh, themes of, uh, you know, you talk about things like feminism and, and sexuality mm-hmm. and all those things are going to come into question if you're looking at it as art. But it's almost as if the people that wanted it to be legitimized as art are, are like having this huge backlash <laughs> for the same reason. You know what I mean? Right. That's our thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the whole thing about like gatekeeping. Like I think about that, you know, and listening to everybody, listen to all you talk, it made me think a little bit about um, sort of different things in like my own life where I've, where, you know, I feel like I'm getting honest, like in the podcast today, like coming to terms with my, my, Japanese obsessions and all that kind of stuff. Your, but like, your cultural I, appropriation. This is your yeah, my cult, my cultural. Hour. Yeah, it's my confession. My compul- <laughs> cultural appropriation. But like, I think about like there was a time in my life where I like within like my own like fashion style. Like I was trying. Like I felt like I was always kind of trying to have to like keep ahead of the trend. Like I remember a friend of mine. Like we we discovered trucker hats at a thrift store. I started wearing them, and then like Ashley Kutcher made them popular, and then we got like really angry about that. And then, like, I started wearing, like, my grandfather's old belt buckles, and that became a trend, and I got kind of angry about that. And Hipsters. Yes, I was a hipster. I've, I've been accused of that many a time, and I'll own it. Um, but it's really kind of the same conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and it is that sort of, 
that that thing over like I've discovered it, and so like I don't. It's like on one level you kind of like you want to see it like legitimated, but you want to be the person who's responsible for legitimating it. Like you want the recognition that you were the one doing it. Like like I realized in my own life, like I was mad that Ashton Kutcher got the attention for it when I was like, hey, I was wearing trucker hats like two years before Ashton Kutcher ever did. Um, and I think like there's an element of that to this as well. Um, but then I think yeah, there's also the just the whole factor of some social awkwardness that comes with some people mm-hmm. that works uh, into it as well. But I think there's also a, a want to be, it's, it's weird and people who hear it, so they're probably like, no, that's not true. But there's a want to be a part of an outcast culture. Um, because when you're out on the fringes, again, you think it's a form of unity um, because you've kind of narrowed down the group that, that you fit into. Mm-hmm. So you feel like it's, I think, I can't help but think this is kind of an odd way to take it, but I can't help think but uh, um, gangs, like gang mentality. It's like yeah. a family that we we watch out for each other, we take care of each other, and outsiders aren't welcome into it. That you have to be brought into the family and made part of the family. And they thrive off that idea of connection while they're separating themselves from the world around them. They thrive off that idea that at least I'm not the only one standing here. Um, And I think that kind of plays into all of this on a a weird level. And I joked around, and um, there's probably somebody out there who listens that I'll offend them, but I joked around that that's why the uh, bronies exist, that they had to seek one more thing to to be outside of what's accepted. Mm -hmm. We had to go there. We had to go there. Yeah. clarify bronies are not there's nothing inappropriate about them i'll state that for them um but 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 they they sought one more way to be an outsider um and it steampunk was that well bronies are the the people and i'm not one of them Mm -hmm. i just know i told i told Mm. jp and i have talked about this my (laughs) daughter i have a three-year-old daughter who's was really into my little pony for a little while and I told JP, I'm very proud to announce that I've seen enough of it to know 100% without a doubt I will never be a brony because I don't get it. Like, I, I don't no, get it. I, I think that your daughter was really into My Little Pony until you started getting into until it. Until I started getting into it. Like, I don't like this anymore. Yeah, and then she's like, whatever, now it's cool. Daddy likes it. Um, but no, bronies are, are these people that they just, they, they find some kind of connection through it. They talk about how it's, it means so Men much more to them. Like Men who yeah. like yeah. Um, But... But uh, Father Chuck, um, I had to tell him that uh, there's two different classes. There's there's bronies, and then there's a group called cloppers. Mm-hmm. And cloppers are the ones people there's think we're talking about right. that have a very perverted aspect to what we're what we're getting into. Bronies just like Trekkies, but instead of Star Trek, it's My My Little Pony because Star Trek became cool. So now we're gonna like My My Little Pony. Um, I don't get it. I don't understand. But it's they had to find one more way to step outside the normal. Um, and you can watch it happen. It was like comic book nerds, and then comic books started to become cool. Then it's like Trekkies, and then Star Trek started to become cool. Then there's like uh, steampunk. But then steampunk started to show up in mainstream concepts and ideas and horrible movies like Wild Wild West. Um, and then there's bronies it's like it's this this progression this stepping down the ladder until i exile everybody else um but us and i think i've exiled myself from this entire room because i'm looking at a lot of blank faces right now (laughs) no that makes sense 
Um, I got a question for you, uh, Father Patrick. Mm-hmm. Fun. Um, uh, if you heard our our one episode where we talked about uh, the, Christ- the Christian media empire, yeah, and um, how we talked about certain movies that kind of gave us sort of a, a spiritual experience. Um, I don't know if you remember that, if you recall that. Yeah, I do. I do actually, and I have some. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, I have a question for you. Right, um, go ahead. Since you're such a hardcore gamer, um, is there a video game uh, that you've played, you know, sometime in your life recently, uh, well, years back, whatever, that you kind of have, that kind of gave you sort of a, a spiritual experience, kind of the same way those movies kind of affected us? There, there is, um, yeah. and it's an it's an interesting game. It's actually Japanese. Uh, it's a game called Ico. He looks at me. Chuck while he just says woke this. up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can get it on PlayStation Three, Chuck, so you can play it. It's, okay, it's it's, um, it's called it's called Ico, and it's a it's a very simple game about this boy who kind of wakes up in this fantastical castle and discovers um, like a princess, I guess you could say, who is. Um, <laughs> As I'm describing this, I want you to know that I I, I hear the white white pow, male power fantasy happening. <laughs> but it's you're just a kid. You're like a kid who's been kind of exiled into this into this castle. And the whole game it's all about a puzzle based game to try to figure out how to get out of this castle. But very early on in your mission to, to escape, you encounter this kind of girl, this princess, who is kind of utterly incapable of taking care of herself. Like she can't even jump up on a ledge that you can very easily reach to hmm. you're. And so yeah, I, I said, I, I said, it's <laughs> happening here. Right. Um, um, but it becomes, and she's, and she's, and both characters are silent throughout the whole game. There's just music playing in the background and your, your, your journey is to help this girl escape with you. And over the course of the game, you kind of develop a relationship with these two characters and then ultimately kind of, there's a larger kind of narrative of why that girl is there. She's this girl is um, completely w- white, like she, like like a, like a ghost almost. Like she, she kind of exudes light, sort of. And um, and you're just a normal kid, right? And then and they're the bad guys in the game are this shadow kind of these shadow monsters that appear out of nowhere. And you, over the course of these puzzles and the kind of atmospheric storytelling. You learn more about why this girl is there, what these shadow monsters are about, and then ultimately what's your what's your role as the the kid who is exiled, put there by your people into this castle. It actually is, and it just is a very kind of emotional and spiritual kind of a kind of a journey. So, um, so yeah, Ico, originally for PlayStation Two, you can also get it on PlayStation Three. I've actually I've actually seen clips of that game. Um, uh, they're they're presented on Anita Sarkeesian's uh, video, so I don't know if that's Hmm. Or not. <laughs> but as someone who's also related to the Gamergate controversy, right? Uh, but but it still looked like a very looked like a very beautiful game. It's very beautiful, um, and seemed pretty cool. Uh, so how is that uh, a spiritual experience? I don't know. I'm mean, spoiler alert, but there's it's. I think it's ultimately an interesting meditation on um, kind of the the Spockian ideal of the the good of the many outweighs the needs the the the, the the pain of the one or whatever. Um, the needs of the many outweigh the need of the Thank people. you. <laughs> and about kind of our assumptions of what, of, of that darkness means bad and light means good. 
that the care that you know the, the 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 boy character assumes that because this girl is a passive light-filled character that she must need rescue and it turns out that that's not actually the case that that in in some ways the the for the world for his world to exist the world of his people to exist the way it is he and the girl have to ultimately kind of be sacrificed um to 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 this entity basically um for there to be peace, I guess you could say. And it just I, like, and it, it's a game that like, as I played it and I, and I initially played it when I was maybe in my early, early twenties. Um, it, it, it just like, I was, emo- I was emotional throughout the course of the game and not because I was raging about how difficult the puzzles were and they were difficult, but because I was, I cared about what was happening right. uh, in a way that I hadn't in games before. That Christian, um, the Christian Media Empire episode was interesting for me because I'm a cradle Episcopalian, which means that I have no relationship with literally anything you guys were talking about. Oh, really? I was listening to it, and I was just like, what is happening? Like, what <laughs> stuff? And, um, and, and I knew – I had a friend who was a little bit more conservative, still Episcopalian, but he, he lived near a Christian book and Bible store. Yeah. And this is back when we were playing Sega Genesis, I think. There was a, a game. It may have been the original Nintendo. There was a game called... Was it called Joshua? There was a Joshua game. Or, or the, But there was another one where you were trying to assemble the armor of light or the armor of the oh, spirit. Are you talking about are you talking about spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare. It's like a Zelda knockoff? Yes. I love that game. Okay, so I remember playing that game with him and just being like, there's a game about, like... Bible stuff? This is weird. And I'm like like nine years old, maybe ten. And I'm just like, can we please play Zelda? Like this is, you know, like <laughs> just that exact same thing of like of 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 you know, if you're gonna do something, do it with quality. Why does it have to be a cheap knockoff? That was my connection point. It's so interesting that my connection point was a video game that I played. Um that that uh, but that entire episode, both I, I, I faithfully listened to both episodes, but I was just like, never heard that movie. I have no idea what that is. I don't, you know, I have parishioners now who give me, like, um, Cameron Crowe. What's his name? Oh, Kirk Cam- Cameron. Kirk who, Cameron? Kirk Cameron, who give me Kirk Cameron movies, and I'm like, yeah, I'll watch this. Trash. <laughs> um, do you watch the Angry Video Game Nerd? The Angry Video? I don't. Oh, really? Oh. Well, he's, he's like a video game critic. He's kind of one of the first people to do it on YouTube, like actually before there was YouTube. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, I don't know if I could recommend it because it kind of perpetuates the whole angry nerd idea. Right. But he's one of the first and it's still kind of funny, but he did like a whole series where he reviewed um, Bible video games. Oh, really? And what That's he found out, and what he found out is that they were all actually like ported from like different actual games. So they're, they're literally those, those games were, were literally pirated. Wow! Literally yeah. pirated games are being sold at like Bible stores and stuff. Wow! Yeah. So Wisdom Tree is the game publisher who made them, and they attempted to make some cheap Nintendo games. They couldn't get the Nintendo seal of approval, and nobody was interested in their stuff. So they they realized that if they could, and like yeah, instead of like rip off of code of other people's stuff. So what they did was they decided to market it to Christian bookstores and make them Christian games. Yeah. Like their first game, I can't remember what it was called originally, but it became this game called Sunday Fun Day, which I've never played. But then they made this really garbage game called Bible Adventures that was like, 
it, it all involves like carrying stuff. Like that's the whole thing is you have to carry stuff like from one end of the screen to the other. They have like you have to rescue baby Moses. You have to run around baby Moses on your head, like avoid like spiders that try to kill him. But like, what's dark though is you can throw baby Moses in the water and watch him die. It's yeah. About as a theologically relevant as half the sermons I hear. <laughs> as as bad as those video games are, probably still better than the Back to the Future video game. <laughs> or ET or the ET game not the ET. <laughs> I um I owned that game. Yeah. I owned ET when I was a kid. Yeah. Really? Yep. How was it? It was terrible. The Atari, the Atari game that one was yeah. yeah. I owned it and I remember it was probably the first video game I ever played. Mm -hmm. My mom the NES had come out and uh, my mom bought an Atari 2600 I guess for me because I was little. I didn't I was like 3 or 4 years old. And um and like I liked ET as a kid. I tried to play the game, and I remember I fell in a hole, and I couldn't get out the hole. Mm -hmm. And so I just gave up on the game, and I didn't really care about video games anymore. And then my mom bought an NES, <laughs> and um, it came with the, the, the Duck Hunt Mario Brothers cartridge. And I like Duck Hunt way more than Mario Brothers. I tried Mario Brothers, and I kept dying. Mm. She loved Mario. But I was really I was really into Duck Hunt, and then I started playing Mario. But so you would have been a gamer in another life if you never played that E.T. game. But you never played the E.T. Yeah, game, yeah. It really, it it literally really messed you up. It did really. It was like emotional scars. I mean, I played, well, no, I mean, I, I, I should say, like, I, uh, through high school, I was definitely, I was definitely a bit of a gamer. I mean, I owned, I owned like every system, mm -hmm. and I owned every video game system, and um, I played obsessively. And then it was Korean feminist theology entered his <laughs> life, and, and again. <laughs> oh, Japanese. Japanese. Oh, it was Korean in the first episode. The one that the one that they made fun of you for was Korean oh, feminist yeah. theology. You were like, I was reading some. Oh right, 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 right. I was. I'm thinking about what Matt was talking about our subsections and our desire to continue to subsection ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I'm having my mind blown a little bit as I think about that in the context of Christ because. I'm realizing that that was really, like, that's the scandal of what Christ was doing, right? Like, he, he entered into the, the Jewish world in a time when they were kind of so oppressed by this, this, this and then previous empires that, so that they were the Jewish people, right? But then, like, they, ne they didn't stop there. Then they said, well, you're a Sadducee, I'm a Pharisee. You know, you're, 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 they, they, then they kept like whittling themselves down, whittling themselves down until, you know, the Samaritans are, the, the, the Samaritans are over there um, to the point when then God enters in as, as one of those types, one of those subsections and says, my subsection actually isn't the most important. None of them are the most important. You're, you are to love all equally. That is what is godly. Um that 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 what Christ does is encourages us to to enter into, or to, to kind of open our eyes to the ways that we subdivide ourselves, and to say, it's actually completely inappropriate. You know, like you can like what you like, but when it comes at the cost of relationship, or comes it, it makes it inability. There's an inability for you to love bronies. Like that's, that's a problem. Right. Um, that is not godlike. Yeah. yeah. I no, I definitely think that he. Um that Jesus entered into the world and was so far inclusive that it messed people up, caused them to attack. And when I say inclusive, we've talked um, a little bit, but when I say inclusive, I don't mean like we talked in the episode about spirituality and religion, that it's not important. Whatever you believe is totally fine. Mm -hmm. um, I don't mean that type of inclusive. 
But I do mean that he ultimately entered into the world and said, humanity is humanity. We're all here together. We are placed here by God, and he's chosen to place his affections upon us. And then he entered into the world and taking on the form of a, of a man, becoming man, 100% God, 100% man, um, so that he could show us what it's like to be fully human instead of subdivided, separated. Um, he showed us what humanity was supposed to be. And that was a radical idea in the concept of how inclusive it was. It wasn't a tribe. It wasn't a particular group of people, a particular subdivision of that group of people. It was everybody's here for the same reason. Um, we're all here to glorify the same God. And that God chose to, to come here to experience what our life is like so that he could show us how it should be lived and then invite us to take part in what what he means for us to be, what he wants us to, to be. Mm -hmm. But we want to keep dividing it. We want to play the Pharisee and the Sadducees and keep moving down the list until <clears throat> basically um, we struggle uh, and fight our way to, um, you could picture it as the bottom, like I'm alone. But in another way, if you kind of flip that, it's the same pride that I'm on top. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same idea as stepping on heads to be at the top of the ladder is pushing everybody out till I'm the only one left. Um, and I think it's a huge, a huge problem that ultimately leads to um, violence and anger and power struggles um, because we're trying to separate ourselves and make ourselves stand out as special, like I'm the, the mm -hmm. chosen one. Um, well, and that's what Paul talks about, too, in Romans, right, when he's talking about the idol meat, which I think you guys have referenced before, when he says, like, you know, you, we know that this meat is not bad, you know, it's just meat. Um, but when you use that liberty, that freedom, that knowledge to put yourself up above one another and you, and by eating it, you cause another to sin, you are doing what you're talking about. You're stepping up, you're stepping on heads. Um, I'm a better Christian because I understand the truth about the fact that those other gods, that this is sacrificed to are not actually real. Um, and that that's, that, that is, that is not Christian living. That's not the way, that's not the way that we are called to live. So uh, I, I asked Patrick what his, uh, one of his favorite video games that it was provided the spiritual experience for him. Uh, what about the the regulars, Chuck? Do you have one? I think I'd have to I'd have to go with Final Fantasy VII. Okay, um, very popular and I, game. Yeah, and I, and I think part of it is to do with I'm really I was always really intrigued by the idea that the story opens where there's this very small smallish kind of thing happening. Your character named Cloud Strife, who's part of a rebellion. And you're performing like a, a sort of like kind of an insurgency act against like the the, 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 the corporation that controls the city that everyone lives in. And um, and like um, from there, it just jumps into this like huge, like worldwide, you know, end of the world kind of thing. And so it's like I've always been fascinated by the idea of like a story that sort of starts really small and then has global implications, and it's the same person like that's involved in all that. So I mean, it's, it's classic fantasy trope. But um, but I think what I like about that game, and from a spiritual standpoint, is the way that it deals with loss, and the way that it deals with um, growth, and learning things like that your entire life might be a lie, and how do you respond to that? 
Um, and I mean, I know it's like a super old game, and I, but I know it's getting ready to come back out on PlayStation in a in a like a high def format. So I don't want to spoil too much of the game for people, for those who might not have ever played it and are going to revisit it um, or visit it for the first time. But um, but it's 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 whole thing about 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 that about loss and and identity, um, and like even even like the the supernatural and like angels being good and bad and all that it kind of all ties into it so like i don't know i felt like playing that game itself was just a very spiritual experience for me um and um so yeah final Fantasy seven okay how about you matt <laughs> um i really don't have one but i realize that makes me sound like a jerk on this podcast um it's not because i don't love games like i i've played them um since the star wars atari game nice uh, when it was just Star Wars, there was no A New Hope Episode Four thing on there. It was just Star it's Wars. But we'll argue whether it was meant to be uh, prequels or not. Um, I played it from Atari through all the Nintendo games. Uh, I mean, I loved Zelda and Link and the original Mario Brothers and the Duck Hunt you're talking about, the uh, the Turtles Ninja Turtles video game for NES to the Turtles in Time Super Nintendo game. Um, I played the Metal Gear Solids and the, um, the, the Halo series, um, up until three. So I, I just say all that to say, uh, it's not me pulling a high road card <laughs> that I don't play the games. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't have one that I can think of that, that specifically stood out to me on that level. Um, which probably just says more to my attention span when I played them than it does to the game themselves. Um, and the I can throw in also the the Resident Evil Four game I was obsessed with for a while, um, but but I feel like if the game was a uh, if I really got into it, I, I don't remember it after the fact. Like I played it till I beat it, but I'm usually that guy who um, the reason I'm probably not into video games is because I know my personality. And when I got one and loved it, I played it till I beat it. So I'm the all-night, nonstop playing the game until I pass out or win um, person. So that's probably why I didn't play. So it comments a lot more on my character and lack of self-control <laughs> than on the video game's influence on me. Um, so that's just to make sure um, nobody thinks, because I've been... Believe it or not, on this podcast, I've been accused of being the cool one, um, <laughs> which that's this is the only arena in life where that has ever been been mentioned. But you played Redemption. So, uh, but I played Redemption, so <laughs> take that, all you people who think I'm going to subdivide myself <laughs> in redemption culture uh, with JP and uh, who else was there? Who played Redemption with us? Uh, Wayne. I'm pretty sure. Did, Joe had to have played it, did he? Wayne, Joe had to have. I know you live, Joe. Comment, tell us, admit it, fess up. Tim had to have played. But uh, anyways, our subculture is about four, five maybe people. So you can't subdivide any further. Than <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Great. Anyways, so I don't really have a particular game to answer your question. All right. Um, well, uh, thank you for copying out on that one, Matt. I appreciate it. <laughs> just that right in there. Yeah. It's so helpful. Um, I, I, have, I have a couple, um, to be honest. One is because of the game itself. Two actually has nothing to do with the game or what happens to it. But the first one, 
um, Legend of Zelda uh, Ocarina of Time. Um, I haven't played that game since like I was in high school. Uh, you guys are familiar with that, right? Oh, absolutely. Chaz has it on his shelf right now. I like, do. I was looking at his bookshelf earlier today, and it's still there. Um, the, Gold cartridge. Right? Nice, nice. Uh, there was something about that game um, that uh, just sort of this idea of like trying to preserve innocence in this, this fantasy land that's kind of being attacked by this darkness and also kind of the transition in between like being a child and being a man and just kind of how that affected me when I was playing it as a, like a, I guess I must've been like 15 or 16 years old when I was playing it. And, um, there were certain moments within the story where kind of cinematic where like the camera would just angle on a face for like an extended period of time with no music playing, just the sound effects and their face. And something about that is was always kind of like, not really uncanny valley, valley kind of stuff, but just like, I don't know, it, it just kind of affected me in a way. There's a certain kind of humanity to it, to just the expressions and staying on it. Um, things like that happen a lot in that game. Um so yeah, I think Ocarina of Time. Um, I, like I said, I haven't played it since high school, so I don't, I don't even really, really remember the story <laughs> that much, other than you know the basics of any fantasy game. Um, the second I, one, I want to stop you real quick before you say your second one. I, I, I'm noticing, I'm kind of interesting that the way that you're describing it is through kind of a cinematographic lens. Yeah. Do you realize that? Like, and I know that you're like the movie guy, but it's interesting right. that the that it's not the gameplay, it's not necessarily even the story, but it's the it's the way that characters are filmed that affected you, which I think is just interesting. Yeah, for, it definitely is one okay. aspect. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is one aspect of it, and even in, in cinema, when that happens, it, it does kind of mm-hmm. affect me. You know, the single takes of people just in their expressions, especially when they're close up. Um, second one is. Uh, <laughs> Terminator 2 Judgment Day, <laughs> the arcade game, okay. not the console game, the, the, but the, the cabinet uh, guns mounted on the dashboard shooting Terminators game. You All know, right. ever playing that at Dave & Buster's or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing it. Yeah, Dave & Buster's or Chuck E. Cheese, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the reason why I say the game it has nothing to do with Terminator or any of the story or whatever, but... Uh, my sister used to take me uh, to Dave and Buster's every Friday when I was about when I was like nine years old, and that was like the first game I played because I loved because I, Terminator Two was like my first rated R movie that I got to see with my with my dad and my sister, and so when I saw that game I was like obsessed that I had to play it every time I was at Dave and Buster's, and it came, became a thing where like I wasn't just going to Dave and Buster's on Friday, I was going with my sister to play this game together every Friday. Because that's the only game we would play. We would just like mm-hmm. pump quarters into that thing all night, just trying to get as far. That game was hard. That was a very difficult game. So fond memories, you know, probably my fondest gaming memory was Terminator Two Judgment Day. And and I think if I can have a parting shot, I, I think sure. that that's maybe the. I think that's maybe what I put the feeling that I have about games that caused me to push against. Ch- uh, Chuck's kind of a generalization about what gamers are is that for me, and I think for a lot of my colleagues in games that there are social experiences. If, if lived in a single player game 
you know, like a Zelda game where it's only you playing, then the social experience is in the discussion afterwards with a friend who maybe is playing it as well. If in a multiplayer game, it's through the community that you form while you're beating a specific level or killing a specific boss or fighting against a specific team, that ultimately, I don't think that games are about the subdivision of of, of the classing that we we, talk, we talked about, but are about seeking community. Um, and that, that, that it can definitely be perverted, it can definitely be twisted, it can definitely be made sinful, um, but that what they do is that is they, they connect people um, in a way that, that these things t- do, that yeah. comic books, movies do. That it's yeah, a- and, and to, to tie into everybody here, see, I got one. Um, that game that I, that I made the joke about, Mystical Ninja, <laughs> um, my cousin Amy and I played it right. on N64, and it is a memory to this day that when we see each other, we joke about. And to fit in with uh, Father Chuck here, we used to be able to sing the song in Japanese that was at the end of the game. Um, we have no idea. We have no idea what the song was saying. We literally would sing the Japanese song when we saw each other just because it cracked us. We, we beat the game, and right. it cracked us up. Um, we started playing it on a camping trip with the family. Uh, that's the kind of camping we did. We uh, were in a camper and played video games. Um, that tells you a lot about me. Uh, <laughs> so we started there. She came over, stayed the night at the house, and we beat it one night. And it's like you said, to this day, it's a it's an experience that we joke and laugh about that brought us together. That um, is something that her and I. Te- it's like a team sport. Right. Um, and it was a single-player game, but we literally would throw the remote to each other when we got stuck on something and pass it back and forth. It became this totally different level of a game at the time. Um, but, yeah, and Japanese. So look yeah. at that. I could fit in with everybody here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Great place to say, all right, podcast done. Matt fits yeah. in. Well, I think <laughs> well, just uh, – yeah, just one last thing because I think of uh, – with Patrick talking about community, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think of um, – I so I, I worked at EB Games when I was in college, uh, college age, and I played EverQuest. And EverQuest is a massively multi, massively multiplayer online role playing game, kind of like World of Warcraft. Uh, it was a precursor to World of Warcraft. Right. And what was really fascinating to me about that game was my coworkers and I played it. And, like, they were all different levels. They were way more experienced in the game than I was. But every time we'd come in the store, we'd talk about our experiences, what we'd do. And we'd brag about things we had done. We'd tell funny stories about things that were happening within the game world. And then we kind of became, like, a hotline for people to call us and to talk about things that they were doing. Or, like, like occasionally you get a phone call with somebody who would, who would just be like, hey, I'm stuck fighting this ice giant. Like, what, what do you do? Uh, like, different things like that. So, yeah, the community-building aspect of, 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 of those kinds of games is absolutely, is absolutely true. And... I, I I fully own my gross generalization and stereotyping, and have been soundly defeated and called out for my nonsense. And uh, <laughs> I, I will flagellate and and, and do next, penance. And next week we will have a Calvinist on here to confront Father Chuck. <laughs> episode three, so stay tuned. <laughs> this is how I this, see. This is the deal. This is how I get our guests and how I get us. I'll be the I'll be the inflammatory guy. <laughs> wow, uh, Father Patrick, thank you so much uh, for bringing it home. That was actually a that was a great addition. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Um, so that's all the time we have. Uh, for this week's Masters of Divinity. 
I want to thank our guest, uh, Father Patrick, for making it out here with us. And Father uh, Fun at Father Fun at on Father Twitter. Fun on Twitter. It's all video game stuff. It's no like good Jesus stuff. It's all <laughs> StarCraft Two a lot. Yeah. Uh, so if people want to find you, Father Fun, they can find you at your Twitter. Yeah, and you can check out my church's website, St. Paul's Manhattan org. Okay, great. Uh, guys, how about you? Why don't you? Uh, I know you're you're both available at our Masters of Divinity. Uh, various social media outlets but uh why don't you flick your your twitters just in case people want to contact you or get in touch with you or see what your guys are up to all right well i'm at um father father charles or father father charles b fr charles b on twitter um and um i also um do some blogging over on my church's website at chapelsta.org um so that's that's those are probably the two places to find me other than our various masters of divinity related media empire outlets, which we are taking over the internet as we speak. Um, Matt, where people can find you? Um, I'm at the Matt Wells on Twitter and it's the Matt Also, I, I said that wrong in our, our, one of our episodes, it's the Matt Great. And you can find me at John Spencer Post on Twitter. Uh, again, I want to thank our guests. I want to thank uh, also Father Charles and uh, uh, Matt Wells for making it out. And I want to thank me personally for <laughs> oh, thank you. coming out. Round of applause. <laughs> Yay. First guest. Yay. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tune in next week as we take on... Uh, the subject of uh, gremlins. What do you mean you can't feed them after midnight? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just just throwing out there. <laughs> and cue the music. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Join us next week. Bye bye. <laughs>